So, good morning everyone. Um, it's great to see you. Uh, I'm glad that there's uh, so many people here. Um, you know, uh, it's a real, real privilege uh, for me to be able to come here uh, and uh, to share God's word with you and to lead uh, worship and just worship alongside you guys. It's been an absolute real privilege. I mean, for those of us, how many of us were there last night? Yeah, a few, yeah. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. I just thought it was amazing just to be able to get together and just worship God together. You know, I, obviously I've never met any of you guys before and it was just a real honour and a privilege to be in this building with you guys and just worshipping our Saviour King together. Um, so I know I met a few people last night, but uh, for those who uh, don't know me, my name is Joe. Um, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I like audience participation. It's good. It's good. Um, <laughs> um, so my name is Joe. Uh, obviously, I'm the lead singer of uh, King's Arrow. Uh, and uh, oh, thank you very much. Another one. Come on. Um, so <laughs> oh, it was Tim. Oh, that that actually doesn't count then. Um, so yeah. So I'm, I'm Joe. I'm the lead singer of King's Arrow. I'm 23. Um, I am a husband to this incredibly gorgeous woman on the front row here. Um, yeah, exactly, yes. I agree, I agree. Um, yeah, so I'm married to this incredibly gorgeous woman on the front row, uh, Jess. Uh, and seven and a half months ago, uh, Jess gave birth to our first child, uh, which is Luke on the front, who's just staring straight at me. Um, drinking his bottle, so he looks like he's enjoying it at the moment. He's usually a good judge of character. Um, so, so yeah, seven and a half months ago, Jess gave birth to our first son, Luke. That's been an incredible, incredible seven and a half months. Uh, you know, years, if you'd have asked me kind of, I don't know, three years ago, would I, would I have a, a child uh, and be married at 23? My answer would probably have been probably not. Um, you know, but it's just been such uh, a privilege to be able to, to raise Luke and to be a part of his life for the last seven and a half months. Um, I know I am slightly biased, but he is definitely the cutest baby ever. Uh, sorry to all you who are parents. Uh, you know, he's a really happy baby and he generally sleeps through. So that is pretty awesome isn't it you know I can I can still get some sleep um so that, that's awesome because when <laughs> when Jess was pregnant all uh, my workmates were like oh you're gonna have a child now uh you're gonna have uh, no sleep you're gonna be shattered all the time it's just never gonna stop and then from about two weeks in you just started sleeping all the way through so I think they were a bit devastated when they found that out um so yeah so that's Luke, uh, my son, and uh, I've got a degree in theology. Um, that doesn't actually qualify me to be on the stage, but thank you very much for letting me share your stage and share the word of God with you. Um, so I studied three years at university, uh, studying theology uh, at my home church, which is called Firwood Church in Oldham. You definitely won't have heard of it. Um, I am a worship leader, youth leader, and kind of in the last six months or so, uh, I've joined the, the preaching team. Um, I'm also a teaching assistant um, slash unqualified teacher at the moment. Um, my my boss is uh, is struggling with her MS, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of 
covering for her to, to help the RE department out, uh, which is great. I absolutely love that. And I absolutely love working in a school. I've got to say, school is one of the most fun places to work. Uh, really tough, but really fun. You know, I can come home uh, each day and just tell Jess like these different stories uh, of, uh, of what's been happening in school. Um, you know, and so... I'll just quickly share a quite embarrassing story with you. Tim really liked this story. Tim, when he heard this story, shared it with everyone. I didn't even need to tell anyone because Tim just went and told everyone anyway. Um, so there was a day when uh, one of the teachers had to go home ill. Um, so last minute, I had to step in, take the class. Now this class, um, quite a difficult class, year 11, you know, so king of the school, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, uh, not really there to work, just there to mess about and all that kind of stuff. And um, I had two lads run out of the class, okay? Now, um, at this point, I'd not really done too much teaching, so I was a bit, like, nervous as to what I was supposed to do. Was I supposed to run after the guys or stay with the class or what? Um, so I didn't, I didn't really know. Um, and so I decided to just nip to the staff room, ring uh, for what we call uh, patrol, which is a bunch of teachers on the corridors who come and pick up kids uh, who can't uh, cope in the classroom environment. Um, and uh, so I, I, rang, um, I rang for patrol. Uh, they came and sorted everything out. Uh, and for the last kind of uh, 15 minutes of the lesson, uh, we, were just, we were watching a clip to do with whatever, whatever topic we were doing on. And all the lads at the back of the room just started laughing. Right, now, if you work in a school, you know that that is not a good thing. Okay, but I couldn't figure out what they were laughing at. Like, I was sat there, and I was kind of, like, looking around, and I was thinking, there's nothing on me, you know, like, they've, they've, you know, I've not said anything stupid, we're just watching this clip, you know, what, what is it? So, um, another teacher came, had to go and deal with something else very, very quickly, came back, and the lads started laughing again, and I was like, right, this is really, really, really disturbing now, um, you know, uh, and um, so... The lesson ends, and I, and I said to uh, I said to one of the lads, what, "What's everyone laughing at?" Uh, and he just went, "I don't know, I don't know." He clearly did because it was him. Um, but um, I said, oh, "I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what they're laughing at." So I walk into the staff room. Immediately, someone points at me and goes, "Joe, you've got Tipex on your bum," and. On my black pants, I just had this massive white mark. So, when I had to get up and walk around the class, they're all laughing at me because I've just got this massive white white mark on my backside. Uh, but, you know, that's the kind of kids that we deal with at our school. But, you know, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, like I just said, recently my boss uh, has, has got, had to go off ill. Uh, she's struggling with MS at the moment. Um, and... Um, and so I've been telling everyone that, that I've assumed the role of the head of the RE department. And last week I had um, a girl come up to one of the teachers uh, and she was talking about, we have this thing called the Vision Magazine, um, which is just like saying what's going on in the school. And as she was talking, I just said to her, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but I'm actually the head of RE now. Uh, and... Uh, 
hilariously, she stops talking to the actual teacher, turns to me and starts talking to me about what she wants doing with the RE department and all this information she wants to get down. So, um, so what I did in the end was I just told her that I was really good at delegating tasks and that the teacher could deal with that. But you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I am a, I am, I'm a master delegator. Um, so, um, but it's great working at school. It is so good working at school. Um, you know, but it's at school really, um, often where I realize the depth of how broken this world is. You know, um, as a TA, um, we get past information uh, about um, certain uh, people in classes. If they've got a learning difficulty, we obviously need to know what that is so that we can help them. Uh, if they've got behavioural difficulties, we need to know that so that we can uh, put behaviour management strategies in place. Um, so we get past information about students. Um, and um, I work with uh, one guy on a one-to-one basis, one year 11. And, um, you know, this, this, this kid's background is so horrific that I'm not even allowed to know what has gone on in his life, what's gone on in his home life. And that for me is completely devastating because, you know, when I've worked with him, he has shared like snippets of his life, you know, and it's so devastating to just see uh, the depth of how broken uh, this world is, Um, you know, and it gets me... It gets me asking the question, how, how are we going to see this world changed? Like that, that should be the question for us as a church. As one body in Christ, we know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. We know that Jesus is the only way for us to be complete again, to be made whole again. You know, and, and so it gets me in the question, how are we going to see this world changed? Because it's not enough for me to sit there and know that someone is broken, that someone is hurting, and for me to leave that where it is. It's not enough. I can't do it. And as a church, we can't do that. You know, it's something that has been on my heart for a while now. The more I work in the school and the more I hear the stories of some of the students there, the more my heart breaks for their families, for the fact that they don't know Jesus, for the fact that they have to cope with some of the things uh, that they're going through without even knowing Jesus. I don't even go through half of some of the stuff that they do. And I feel like I wouldn't cope without Jesus. You know, it's, it's absolutely devastating. But the thing is, is the church generally has become a place of contradiction. Like, we've, we've told people, look, this is the place to come as you are. And we've all heard the stories about churches that kind of uh, put on this face of everything's okay. I know I've done that so many times in my life. That was one of the main things I battled with for like seven years. And I'm not saying I'm completely over it. You know, I battled with this, this thing inside of me that said, you need to look like you're perfect. One, because God will accept you 
if you're perfect. And two, because everyone else will accept you as you're perfect. And it took me years to understand that Jesus loves me as I am. Years. You know, and we hear these stories of how people don't want to go to church because all they're expecting to find is judgment. You know, they walk through the doors and people know immediately that I've got stuff going on. I'm hurting. And if I go in there, people are going to judge me. You know, everybody's doing great in there. No one's got any problems, but I have. Why is it just me that's struggling with this? You know, and we probably all know someone who says those kind of things. You know, but I was looking on the, um, on the website, uh, this, the church website before we came down, uh, just to check out you guys, you know, make sure you were all right and all that stuff. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so I just wanted to check out you guys, just see the kind of stuff that you were doing. Um, and I love that uh, on, the, on the section of the website, there was a bit about launch the lifeboats. You know, that's just, to me, was incredible. You know, just recognizing that this world is messed up and we need to be a part of God's plan for doing something about it. That's God's call on our lives. You know, I get get to see the depth of how broken this world is in my job. I'm sure we all do. And we are a part of God's plan for people coming to know the living God who makes us whole, who makes us complete. I love uh, that passage in Mark. I'm going I'm to read it again, okay? Uh, Mark 2, 13 to 17. Says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. That is absolutely incredible to me. Like that has hit me recently in a way that it never has before. You know, tax collectors at the time were like an incredibly hated people. Like they literally had no friends. Their only friends probably would have been other tax collectors because they were absolutely hated. And even the Pharisees in this passage put them in their own little box, don't they? Why is Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors? So they don't even get into the sinners group. They've got their own group. That's how much they hated. And yet Jesus walks up to him and he says, follow me. Does anybody see any add-ons there? No. No. Jesus walks up to him and he says, follow me. No conditions. Come as you are, not once you've sorted yourself out, now. And that is a call for us. That we must go to Jesus as we are. Jesus calls him, says, follow me. The son of God asked a tax collector who couldn't even be classed as a sinner to follow him. Incredible. 
And when the Pharisees ask him that question of, why, why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? You can almost just hear that sarcastic and ironic tone in his voice. Well, the sick is what I've come for because the healthy, you know, they don't, they don't need a doctor, you know, funnily enough. Um, you know, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, it's just like the Pharisees had this idea of, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm doing all right. I'm following what God wants me to do. But I'll tell you what. That in itself is a lie. Because when we come to church, and I, I have done this, and I can still do this. I can come pretending that everything is okay when my heart is in a state. I know how to put my Christian face on. I know how to put that on on a Sunday. I know when to raise my hands in worship. We all, all of us, can do that, and we do do that. And do you know what? It's a lie. Because we are not okay. We are broken people. At the end of the day, pretending isn't going to do you much very good. Because God knows everything. So when we come to him and we say, oh, everything's okay, God. Really? <laughs> That's it's quite a funny thing to do, isn't it? You know, kids at school, I, I have had people throw pencils and pens across the classroom in like literally three feet from me. And as I'm telling them off, they say, well, it wasn't me. What do you mean it wasn't you? I've just seen you throw it. And that's what we can be like with God. Everything's okay, God. Nothing, I've, not, I've not done anything. It's, it's okay. Uh, I'm, generally, I'm generally following what you want. No, God wants us to come before his throne, broken, on our knees, weeping, knowing the depth of our own depravity. The depth of our own sin. Because it is when we do that, that God moves in power. You know, Paul, I think it's in uh, Corinthians or uh, Colossians, um, one of those books that starts with a C. Um, <laughs> he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now that is quite a bold statement because if you just read that as it was, that would sound like he's saying Jesus' death wasn't good enough, so now I'm suffering a bit. But actually, what Paul is saying is when people see me as I am, they see me suffering, burnt, broken, beaten, they see the glory of God. They see how worthy Jesus is. They see how powerful Jesus is because if Jesus can work in the deepest and darkest of situations, there is nothing that he cannot do. 
That is incredible. And that is something that we need to get in our hearts and minds as we live each day struggling. Stuff happens in our lives that hurts us. We get stuff wrong. If you are married, you understand that more than most, probably. As a husband, my life is, com- is usually spent saying sorry. <laughs> Amen, yeah. My life as a husband is usually spent saying sorry because I am a muppet at the best of times. But when we come before the throne and the cross of Jesus and we come as we are, we don't come with our masks on. We don't come with our church clothes on. When we come as we are, beaten and broken, people see the glory of God. For years, while I was at school and college, I did the whole Sunday-Monday thing. You know, turn up to church, act like a Christian, and Monday, who's Jesus? For years, I did that. And you know what? I, I definitely would have called myself a Christian. And you know what the devastating thing is? Is no one, not one of my friends would have known it. One of my uh, teachers, actually, um, somehow found out that I went to church and decided to proclaim across the whole classroom that, oh, I think we've got a church goer over here. You know, and as an embarrassed young lad, I was like, no, 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 not me, not me. Church is rubbish, you know, spouting off all these things about church. You know, I was embarrassed. Not one of my friends would have known that I was a Christian despite the fact that I would have said that I was. But as I moved through school in sixth form, God called me to set up a CU. Um, I didn't like that idea because I was a generally liked guy at school. Um, And people don't generally find CU uh, overseers uh, very popular. Um, So... So I didn't like that idea. I fought that year, I fought that for years. And, and I did it in sixth form. And I'll tell you what, it was the most incredible thing just to be in front of my school, in front of my sixth form, be open, be vulnerable, and say, yep, I'm messed up. I really messed up. But Jesus loves me and Jesus died for me. And you know what? It was an incredible, incredible two years. And I'll, I'll admit this to you as well. I lost most of my friends. Like, literally, I'm not even kidding you, I had three friends. I went from being a generally liked guy with everyone to having three friends. Wasn't easy. But through that... People saw the glory of God and people came to see you. Now, that in itself shows that it was God that was in complete control because I would talk for like 45 minutes on, you know, a certain subject. And so people would miss their lunch, you know, miss whatever because I was blabbing on. 
And um, I used to say to him, oh, no, 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 it's, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, I'll talk for 10 minutes next week. I'll definitely talk for 10 minutes next week. They come the next week, and 45 minutes later, the bell goes. They've got to go to the next lesson. You know, and it's, so it was a miracle that people kept coming. When um, my wife and I set up uh, a youth group in our church for the 11 to 14-year-olds, I did exactly the same thing. I was at Bible college, okay? So... Um, I decided it would be really good to share what I was learning at Bible college. Um, but there's some really like deep, complex things that don't need to be shared with 11 to 14-year-olds. Like We started with three people. We grew to about 25. That was absolutely amazing. So I, used to just, I used to do the same as to see you just talk for 45 minutes on the holiness of God. Some of, the, some of these kids didn't even want to know about the holiness of God. They turned up to play games. It's a miracle that they came back. But you know what? I believe they came back because they saw us for who we were. And they saw how great our God was. And God brought them. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, you could turn to Acts 16, 22 to 26. I'll just give a a bit of a background because I don't want to read through a longer passage. Um, So, Paul and Silas are walking about town and uh, they come across a demon-possessed woman. And this uh, woman, uh, through the demon, uh, recognizes who Paul and Silas are and she starts shouting about, you know, "These, these are men of God. Uh, and I think by that point, Paul had been through enough. I think Paul had just had enough and just had one of those moments where he's like, ah, go away, out in the name of Jesus, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and so this woman, um, she uh, then is no longer demon-possessed. Uh, they cast the demon out, and the owners of this woman, uh, who'd been using her for profit so, so that she could tell fortune, um, get really, really mad. Um, and they uh, go to uh, the council, and they, and they ask for their help in having uh, Paul and, um, and Silas arrested. So we'll go from uh, verse 22. Okay, it says this. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Oh, my word. If that didn't slap you in the face, I'll read that again. So, beaten, uh, stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, okay, so not a few spanks on the bum or the hand, okay, severely flogged, um, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When they received his orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. How incredible is that? To go through that and to sing songs to, for, and about Jesus. I don't know that I would have the strength to do that. 
It's just incredible. But as we read on, something incredible uh, happens. Suddenly, there was uh, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Broken, hurting. They knew where they stood with God. And they sung hymns. They praised the name of Jesus. Jesus, praise you that I got thrown in prison. Jesus, praise you that I was beaten within an inch of my life. How many of us have had to say that? (laughs) And they praised him. And what happened? The power, the power of God descended on the place and chains were broken. So here's what I'm going to say for this morning. As we sing to Jesus, as we come before him in prayer, we come as we are. We come nothing more than broken people who are in desperate need of Jesus. And you will see the power of God descend on the place. You will see chains broken. I don't know, obviously I don't know you guys, but some of you might have come this morning and you're really, really struggling with a specific issue. Like it's, it's just been burdening you for a long, long time. And it's making you tired, it's making you weary. And you're embarrassed about it. Maybe a few of you in here are struggling with addiction. Maybe some of you in here are struggling with coming before God as you are because you know that you're broken. And you've been fed that lie that you cannot go before God as a broken, incomplete person. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And then do you know what we're going to do? We're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice that we are broken, that we are hurting, that we are incomplete. Do you know why? Because the people of Ipswich will see the glory of God in this place. The people of Ipswich will say, how can these guys rejoice, sing praises to this God when they're going through that? I love it when people say that. How can you, how can you sing praise? Praise is happy. Praise is not like mourning. Praise is like, yes, Jesus, thank you so much. There's a difference between joy and happiness because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is like when you get your iPhone 5 and the iPhone 6 comes out and suddenly your iPhone 5 isn't good enough anymore. Happiness goes, but joy is something that lasts and you will only find joy in Jesus, in the saving work of Jesus. 
So I have blabbed on like I always do. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. But just before we pray, I just want to say this. This church, my church, every single church has to be a place where people can come and not be okay. It has to be more like a hospital than a hotel. We want to draw people in. We want things to be good. But we need to recognize that this world is broken, that we are broken. We need fixing. We can't fix them. Jesus fixes them. Jesus fixes us. And so this place, every church needs to be a place where people can come and not be okay. Where you can come every single week and kneel at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I am not okay. I need you more. And for that to happen, we need to first realize that we are broken. Because when we don't, we become like the Pharisees. And that is not the call that God has for us. The call that God has for us is incredible. God doesn't need to use us, but he does. God doesn't have to love you and pour out his grace on you, but he does. And if you don't know that this morning, okay, please, I'm begging you, see one of King's Arrow, see one of the pastors, someone in the church that you know uh, comes here, worships God, loves God. If you don't know the saving work of Jesus this morning, please, I'm begging you, see someone. Because Jesus is the only truth. Jesus is the only way. He is the only life. And you will not find joy anywhere but in him. That is a promise. Because that's something I tried for ages. I'll find joy in this. I'll find joy in this. That didn't work. I'll find joy in this. That didn't work. No. The saving work of Jesus is where you'll find joy. So I'm begging you, see someone this morning. And if um, you want prayer after the service, please don't hesitate to come and just say, this is what is going on. I need Jesus to fix me. As Christians, that should be our everyday life. That should be our everyday life. Jesus, I need you to fix me. I need more of you. So please, I'm begging you, come and see someone. Be prayed for. Get in contact with people who can constantly pray for you. Prayer is not a one-time thing. Be in contact with people who can pray with and for you on a regular basis. So, blabbed on again. Um, I'm going to pray. If the band would like to come up, that would be great. Um, I think that's what's next. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice that the Savior came for us despite the fact that we took his love, 
his grace, his mercy, the life and calling that he had on our lives and we threw it in his face. And we're going to rejoice that he came to fix our brokenness. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. You are awesome. You are king. You are glorious. There is no one greater than you. There is no life greater than the life that you offer us. Lord, we ask that you would come and that you would fill us with your presence, that you would fill us with your spirit, God, and that you would fix our brokenness. That you would make us complete in you, God. That you would uh, just keep reminding us that we need you more every day. And let our lives be about pursuing you, Father. Let our lives be about knowing where we stand in in, uh, regards to you, Father. The holy, the perfect God. And let our lives represent the truth of the gospel the good news that you came for us let us weep at your at the foot of your cross father and let us weep with other people as well father let us pursue your glory together amen